98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Burns and Gambo starts now. now. Straight up 2 o'clock on this Wednesday in Phoenix. And this is what I think everybody's been waiting for. The John Gambadoro Show. Oh, boy. Here we go. We're solo. You finally got him out of here, Gambo. Finally got him out of here. We just, yeah, so just solo show today. We're just, uh, at some point, I think we'll, we will have Kellen Olsen coming in at some point. But we're scrambling. Bernsey had to call in sick today. He was a little under the weather. So um, we're going to get this show started. I think Kellen's going to join us at some point. And uh, we'll talk some Suns basketball with him. Ramona Shelburne's going to join us on the program. Darren Urban's going to join us on a program. We'll talk some Cardinals. But let's waste no time there. There's so much to get into. Let's tell you what our top story of the day is. Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. All right, a lot of people speculating and just talking about this situation between between DeAndre Ayton and head coach Monty Williams and just how awkward it was. We went over this yesterday when DeAndre Ayton was asked about, you know, when the Suns matched that offer four years and $133 million, And his response, I was happy. It was all done, I guess, when he was asked. And then he was asked, like, is that it? Yup, that's it. It was a very awkward thing. Monty responded later and DeAndre responded later when asked, have you guys talked to each other? The answer was no. Monty hasn't spoken to DA. DA hasn't spoken to Monty. The season ended on May 15th. There was nothing, no discussions between the two guys. Now, obviously, we all know the way it ended in Game 7 against the Mavs with DeAndre saying, I can't pass myself the ball. And I like, what'd you say? And so it was bad. But you would have thought at some point over about a five-month period that Monty Williams would have reached out to DeAndre Ayton, especially after knowing that he wasn't getting traded and he was going to have to coach him. And clear the air. I said yesterday, I'm very disappointed in Monty. Monty's the leader. Shows terrible leadership, in my opinion, on Monty. Terrible leadership. Monty's the 50-year-old. He's the grown-up in the room. DeAndre was a 23-year-old kid. He's 24 now. And, you know, he wasn't feeling very good about his role and the way he was treated and, and, and thought that, you know, Monty was getting on him and players were getting on him. It was up to Monty to kind of figure that out and make that work. Now, we went back and we just pulled some some audio from the exit interviews, the exit interviews after the season was over. It was done in a weird way. It was not, you know, player by player, but there were exit interviews. And we've got some sound of that. Here was Monty Williams as he was preparing his players to be guys that could step up after the postseason. Here's in the playoffs, man, everybody knows your plays. <laughs> You throw the ball around two, three, four times, and then one guy gets it, and he goes and gets a bucket. And um, I learned that lesson from Kevin Durant after the finals last year. He said, he was like, Coach, look, the playoffs, when you get deep into it, he's like, you got to stop a guy from getting a bucket, and you got to go get a bucket. And a lot of the teams have guys that can do that. And I, I ask myself, like, am I, am I preparing – our guys to to do that. I think we have guys that can. Uh, Mikhail, Cam Johnson, what I saw from Landry um, in the postseason to complement uh, what we have in booking Chris. Fascinating that we didn't pick up on that at that time. Who did he not mention? We have pieces that can complement booking Chris. Mikhail, Cam, Landry. No mention of DA. Never mentions DeAndre Ayton. 
You could just tell that he was upset with DeAndre Ayton and the way that ended, the way that happened, that Monty, during those exit interviews, mentioned Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Landry Shamit as core pieces to compliment Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So do we go back to the exit interviews and say, like, okay, there was a beef. There was an obvious beef. We know what happened in Game 7. It didn't work out very well. DeAndre goes into the offseason. There's all the thought that they're going to trade him. But then the Nets, they don't want DeAndre Ayton. I report that the day we find out about Kevin Durant wanting out, I report that I'm hearing from two sources that the Nets are not interested in a side and trade in which they can get DeAndre Ayton. Okay, where do you go from there? How are you going to get, how are you going to pull off a trade for Kevin Durant if you do not have DeAndre Ayton? It was almost impossible. He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. They didn't have the pieces. Every time the Suns and the Nets talked, there was nothing there. The Nets kept saying, you don't have what it would take to get a deal done. You don't have what it takes. Suns would check in periodically. Has today, just want to see how things are going. You don't have what it takes to get a deal done. Okay, bye. You wait a week or two, you say, hey, how you doing? You don't have what it takes to get a deal done. They didn't have it. There was no deal that gets done. DeAndre, at that point, I had, I had been reporting this while I was on vacation, that Indiana was interested. I was expecting an imminent offer from Indiana as an offer sheet. Not a sign and trade, because the Suns didn't want Miles Turner. Not a, not a sign and trade, but an offer sheet. About a week later, Indiana signs DeAndre Ayton to a max offer sheet, of which the Suns quickly match the offer. Quickly match it. I think going into that, I wonder if Monty felt like D.A.'s not coming back. I'm not going to reach out to D.A. He's not coming back. This guy's going to be out of here. I want him out of here. I can't imagine that Monty Williams was gung-ho on having D.A. back, but the Suns weren't going to let DeAndre Eaton walk for nothing. DeAndre Eaton was not going to leave. Okay, well, we'll, we won't match the offer. What'd you get from him? Nothing. Nothing. Wait a second. You drafted the kid number one overall? He's a good player, and you got nothing for him? Can't do that. So you match the offer. You match it. Now, he's got a no trade for a year. You can't trade him until January 15th. And you can't trade him to the Pacers. You can't even trade him to the Pacers. So now after that, you would think that Monty reaches out and says, okay, listen, I'm going to have this guy for a little while. Let's maybe maybe fly out wherever he is, have lunch with him, have dinner with him. I at least send him a text message after he, you know, the max offer sheet was matched saying, hey, big fella. Just wanted to say congratulations. You know, I know we've had our ups and downs, but man, I am happy for you, for your family. I'm happy that you got this deal done. I know you worked really, really hard. I know you had to wait an extra year and it wasn't everything you wanted. But man, I am happy for you as somebody that's been a battle with you in these games for a few years. I'm, I'm happy you got this done. And I, hey, I'm looking forward to coaching you. I'm looking forward to getting back out there next year and we'll get past this. And, you know, my my door is always open for you. Just something, you know, extend the olive branch to DeAndre Ayton. Extend it. The kid, you know, it's what the kid probably wanted. He was probably what he was waiting. I mean, imagine every day your kid goes by and you don't hear from your head coach. Your head coach doesn't contact you. May, June, July, August, not until September. Then you do media day and somebody asks you, have you talked to Monty? No, still haven't talked to him. You would think that there is something wrong between these two. Yeah, you would have to think that there's something going on between Monty and D.A. to where D.A., maybe D.A. doesn't want to be here. Maybe he said something like that. And Monty, you have to assume that Monty didn't really want D.A., that he probably figured that you were going to make a trade. And look, everybody thought they were getting Durant. 
Everybody thought they were getting Duran. You know why? Because Duran said, I want to be here in Phoenix. And usually superstars, they get their way. Superstars, they get to go where they want to go. Duran said, I want to go to Phoenix. Okay. But the Nets, the Nets, they, they held strong. They didn't buckle. They didn't just take a deal. I'll take your draft picks and a couple of expiring contracts that'll make the deal work. No, no, they didn't do that. No, but trade Kevin Durant. I got Kyrie Irving. I got Ben Simmons. I got Joe. I got a good team. I'm not giving you. I'm not. I'm not giving up Durant for nothing. The Nets have been. You know, the Nets have made some bad trades. Let's be honest. A Harden trade. You know, you go back to the Kevin Garnett trade with Paul Pierce. They were not gonna. They were not gonna make a bad trade here. Problem is nobody, nobody had what it took to make a trade. And many teams were reluctant to make a trade because of the simple fact they didn't believe that Durant wanted to be there. So in the end, Durant ends up staying with the Nets. By the way, he told uh, his coach that he, he said that he wanted his coach fired. Durant said he wanted his coach and GM fired. So what did the coach of the Nets, Steve Nash, two-time MVP, what did he do? He reached out to Kevin Durant, had a talk, cleared the air. Nash said as much yesterday at the introductory press conference. He said as much. We spoke. We cleared the air. Everything's it's in the past. We're moving on. So what do you have to, that's what you need to do as a head coach. Steve Nash did the right thing. I don't care that he called for me to get fired. He's a player. I got to, I got to, I'm going to coach this kid. I got to, I got to, I'm going to coach him. I've got to make this work because I'm the head coach. I have to make it work. Kevin Durant doesn't need to come to me and make, I got to go to him. Even though he said I should be fired. Hey, let's talk this out. Let's get through this. Steve Nash did it with Durant. But Monty Williams didn't do it with Aiden. Why? Why did Monty not do it? Somebody needs to ask Monty, why? Well, I didn't talk to many of my guys. Okay, but you didn't have a problem with many of your guys. You had a problem with Aiden. You had no problem with Book. You had no problem with Chris. By the way, I also find it really, really hard to believe that Monty didn't talk to those guys while all this Kevin Durant stuff was going on. Of course they spoke. Of course. But okay, take other guys, Mikhail, Cam, Landry, other guys on this team. All right, if Monty didn't have a conversation with those guys, he wanted to give everybody a break, fine, fine. But you've got an issue with one of your star players who has a max contract right now. And you've got to figure out a way to make that work for the good of the team. Not for you. It's not about you. It's about what's good for the team. And that didn't happen. That exit interview, telling Mikhail, Cam, and Landry, I got to find out guys that could compliment Book and CP3. He mentions Mikhail, Cam, and Landry Shamit. Doesn't mention DeAndre Ayton. Interesting. Cliff Kingsbury spoke about some of the players on the Cardinals who could be here and be ready to go for game uh, for this game against Carolina on Sunday. Who's not going to be ready to go? We'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Today we get uh, conversations from Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, and others with Cardinals. And Kellen Olsen's in. He's going to join us for the rest of the show. Pinch hitting. Coming in off the bench to pinch hit with Burnsy sick today. I was not told by the manager before the game to expect an at-bat today, but here I am. Yeah. You know the commercial where, um, you know, where they go, hey, we need a pinch hit of Derek, get up. 
And then the one guy, Derek, gets up, and it's not him, and it's, you know, we mean the other Derek, Derek Jeter. <laughs> well, you're our Derek Jeter today. There you are. You're our Derek Jeter. Oh, okay, I'm there you go. I'm not Derek Jeter for many reasons, but I appreciate oh, that. Filling in. I appreciate that. All right, Cliff Kingsbury today on A.J. Green and whether he'll be available for Sunday's game against the Carolina Panthers. Um, looks doubtful unless he really, really comes around. Probably not, not going to be available. I uh, no AJ Green. We didn't expect AJ Green after what happened and the way he was yeah, after that game uh, against the Rams on Sunday. It did not appear that AJ Green was going to be available for this game. Now it's a problem for for the Cardinals a little bit. I mean, he is a veteran player, but he's also size. I mean, you got a lot of size with AJ Green. So he suffered that knee injury against the Rams. We don't know how long he's going to be out. But you know, DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for a few more games. You've got Rondell Moore has not played. And then A.J. Green has the knee injury. And all of a sudden, you know, you got no Antoine Wesley as well. So now the Cardinals could be down to four healthy receivers. But what about Rondell Moore and his return to the offense? Here's Cliff on Rondell. I mean, he's a playmaker. He had a really good training camp. We were looking forward to utilizing him in some different ways. Um, but, you know, coming off whatever he's been out, three or four weeks, we'll, we'll be smart and, and limit kind of what he does. But he's he's definitely got some juice and was playing at a high level in camp. So hopefully he can go. Uh, he'd be a big part for them. He was back at practice on a limited basis today for the Cardinals. Could be back in the lineup. We don't know for sure. He missed the first three games. Hurt the hamstring. That's a tough injury. But he's taken some steps towards returning and participated in practice today. And then we'll see if he's good to go. But with no A.J. Green, no Antoine Wesley, no Hopkins, it's it would be really important, even if they could just get a limited amount of snaps out of him to give Kyler Murray that option. It just doesn't feel like Gambo through three games that they've had much playmaking. And, and guess what? Well, guess why? Because DeAndre Hopkins has gone their primary playmaker. But with that being said, with what we expected through three games, I think Kyler had that magical two quarters in, in Vegas, of course. A, Hollywood Brown had a big game last week. Zach Ertz has had moments consistently. James Conner's been kind of pedestrian for the most part, and then you just look around and look for the other playmakers and where they're at. This is just one of those things with A.J. Green specifically, even if Rondale Moore is coming back, you just look at even someone like Antoine Wesley, who who they've been missing. They just really are behind in that wideout room. And the return of Rondale Moore, even for a couple of snaps, like you're saying, is going to be something that they really need because that explosiveness in the areas that he provides it in, it's just a unique thing that he brings to the team right now. Well, I think the thing with James Conner is when you get behind in all these games and you've got to play catch-up the whole time, that really hurts the running game. It hurts a player like James Conner when you've got to play from behind the whole time and you try to go with more you know, more passing, less running. and you know, It's just, a, it's just different. So that's the thing that I think is probably hurt James Conner a little bit. They do not have a point in the first quarter. And I was I was looking at something today about Carolina, just one of the stats. Let me see if I can find it here in my notes. It was something about Carolina not giving up any first quarter points in a long time. I kind of got kicked out of that. It was an interesting stat. But yeah, they the, car, the, the Carolina Panthers have not given up first quarter points in a lot of games. So they do a pretty good job of stopping the opponent in the first quarter. And now you've got Arizona, which doesn't score. They haven't scored any points yet no. this year in the first quarter. So you put those two together and it doesn't doesn't look very good. But, you know, hopefully for them, they can get Rondell Moore back. He could play a little bit. Uh, even again, even if he's limited and he could just give them something, that would really help. Here's Cliff, you know, on, on being full strength at receiver, which they haven't been yet. 
Yeah, we, you know, like I said, you want to try and figure out what, what you can uh, do best with those guys that, that you have, and, and they're talented players. Um, you, you'd like to be full strength and, and use um, some of those top guys, but we, we got to find a way to, to make it work. And, and so far, just offensively, like I said, along we haven't had a rhythm, haven't even really executed a game plan through three quarters, and that's something that we've talked about and just staying on schedule and not falling behind where it becomes a two-minute drill every week. I just don't know why you don't line up two tight ends when you, you got Ertz, you got Max Williams, you got McBride, you yes. got these three players. If you don't have the size at wide, at wide receiver, you've got it at tight end. Trey McBride, Max Williams, Zach Ertz. I mean, they started last week at a two tight end formation and the first pass was with Zach Ertz. Go back to that. Use that. I mean, it's, Cliff's gotta have something in his arsenal where he can use those tight ends. You've got three quality, quality tight ends. And if you know they've got size, they've got strength, you could get some yards after the catch. They're big bodies. Like, I would really try to take advantage of those tight ends. You've got talent there. Look, they drafted McBride for a reason. I'm getting kind of kind of sick of a, you know the Cardinals drafting players and I'm not playing in the first year. Let's get this guy some reps and let's see what he can do. It was one of the things I really talked about a lot, which is friends and, and fellow Cardinals fans looking at the team through three weeks. And Gambo, we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield, I believe, at 3.30 and kind of look through the reasons why you should be pretty optimistic about this matchup against the Panthers, but one thing that really stood out in the show notes that you sent over, Gambo, is that when they beat the Saints, they were getting to Jameis Winston. They were putting pressure on the quarterback, and NFL Next Gen Stats had had something really interesting that Kyler had just 2.43 seconds to throw on average, which was the third lowest among all quarterbacks in Week 3, so he was not given much time to throw at all against L.A., and this Carolina defense is just coming off a game where they pretty much won it because of the pressure they got on the quarterback. And, and if you can run those two to three tight end sets and just run a little bit of short stuff. And again, Rondell's not a guy who's catching balls for 15, 25, 28 yards. It's more of the short game. They're going to really need to get that going early in this game because this Carolina defense, while, while it is better than expected, it's still in a good place right now. They're coming off a really impressive win. Yeah, and Derek Brown played extremely well for them. The defensive tackle, number seven overall selection a couple of years ago out of Auburn. You know, he stood out in that game and he got a little bit of a pass rush for sure. So that that Carolina defense kind of carried them because Baker in the offense has not. Now, one of the key players that they could get back at cornerback is Antonio Hamilton. And as we know, he had the burn injury. He's been out, burned his leg and his arm. Here's Cliff talking about the possibility of them getting Antonio Hamilton back. Uh, I, he's moving around good. So, uh, you know, next week, maybe a little aggressive, but we're hopeful, you know. I think we got to get him out there, see you know what he's retained as far as the football stuff, and see how he moves around. Make sure he's comfortable, but he he, he looks good in his uh, in his rehab. All right, so Antonio Hamilton, who is you know, expected to be one of their top three corners. Now, Trayvon Mullen played last week, but only special teams. Yeah. So they just got him some special teams reps. So now we'll see you know, how this plays. I think their cornerbacks, Murphy's been great. I, I mean, Murphy you, is. Like, what have you thought? Yeah. I, I mean, he shut down Cooper Cup. He Devontae. shut down Devontae Adams. Yeah. I mean, he's playing like a number one corner. Now, going into the season, we did not think the Cardinals had a true number one shutdown corner. But right now, the way Murph has played, you've got to put him in that category as a guy who's been a shutdown corner. He has shut down two of the best receivers in the NFL in back-to-back weeks. When you're going player-by-player by player through this roster heading into the season, looking at it in the preseason, and just highlighting a couple of guys that were X-Factors, Byron Murphy was a huge one for me because in the first eight weeks of the season last year, Gambo, he was a pro bowler. We were talking about him. We're like, not only could he be a pro bowler, is he in the all-pro discussion? Like, who have been the true 
shut down corners in the league this year. And then the second half of the year, he, he really struggled and led to that discussion in the offseason of like, okay, Byron Murphy's a good number two, like he can play inside, but there's not really anything there in terms of a number one guy. But through three weeks, I feel pretty confident. And, and look, Ambo, with the way the secondary situation was unfolding over the offseason and how we were prepping for it heading into week one, I was just expecting a ton of different plays where a guy's just wide open, blown by, things like that. We haven't really seen many of those mistakes, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I've been kind of impressed by the way the secondary's played so far. And if they can get Antonio Hamilton back, if Mullen can start to be incorporated and be positive there, then maybe that could be a way better group than we expected. Definitely need some depth at safety. Banjo's in for a visit. Deion Thompson got cut, so they could use some depth at that safety spot. But yeah, I think the secondary has played a lot better. I think the defense overall, to give credit to Vance for the last two games, or at least the last six quarters, with how the defense has played. Hey, just a reminder, Ramona Shelburne from ESPN, she had that story up today. The walls were closing in inside the seven days that led to the Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver's stunning exit. She's going to join us at 2.45 today. Up next, we'll talk some ASU. They're taking on USC and their head coach. Woo! He did something that got noticed today. We'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The Burns and Gambo Need to Know Twitter poll presented by Sanderson Ford. Sanderson Ford, 51st Avenue in Glendale, just south of Glendale on 51st Avenue. No added markups, no additional markups when you go to Sanderson Ford. Al McCoy first told me about Sanderson Ford. I know Gonzo shops there, Luis Gonzalez and Rick Tockett and so many others. So if you're looking for a new car, truck, or SUV, I don't know what a Sanderson Ford. They've got our Twitter poll today, and I know the guys mentioned it to me earlier what it was, but I already forgot what it's the been Twitter a day. poll was. It's been a day, Gambo. It was. It We're going to get through it, buddy. We're going to get through it. Yeah. But not only for us, but also uh, a day for the Cardinals as well. I don't know if you saw that injury report, but boy, it was about a mile long. So out of the nine inactives, we asked about three that didn't practice today. And if these three are unable to play on Sunday, who would worry you the most? All right, that's three options. Option number one is Rodney Hudson. Option number two is J.J. Watt. And option number three, Justin Pugh. I'm going to vote Justin Pugh. I'm going to be in a minority, but I'm going to vote Justin Pugh. I was going to say Rodney Hudson as well. We're going to get into Carolina at 3.30, but they're a team where it just seems like if the Cardinals limit their mistakes and just have long, sustaining drives, they're going to be fine. And Rodney Hudson is huge for what they do in that department. Yeah. So Rodney Hudson's running away with it. 57.5% leading the way. Rodney Hudson, number one. In second place, J.J. Watt, 25.7%. And in last place, Gambo, Justin Pugh at 16.8%. Do you want to give your reasoning as to why you're going to pick Pugh over maybe somebody like Hudson? Yeah, I think Justin makes that whole offensive line go. I think he's a really underrated player. I think when they, uh, you know, he's a guard and he can pull and he's good in the run blocking and he's good in pass blocking. And I, I mean, I understand the center. I get it. But I, I think Justin kind of stirs that whole offensive line. Very under undervalued player, in my opinion. All right, that's our Sanderson Ford poll question. We'll check back in a couple of hours. A good one, Gambo. Clearly, I didn't come up with it, right? Well, you didn't come up with it. I <laughs> you remember it. that a couple months ago? Did you you come hated up with one? the poll question I came up with. I can't even remember what it was. It, you, it, it was just something I was, that I think we brought up the entire show of don't let Kellen make it. I was revoked. Like my statuses were revoked completely. Yeah. Well, you were just down at the you were down at the arena <laughs> right now with, with the Sunshine Williams. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get some thoughts on that in a second. Uh, you got to absolutely love this USC and ASU. They're gonna take. Uh, they're gonna play this weekend. Uh, I saw this uh, Chris Cartman who's gonna join us on the program later. One of ASU. Starters against Utah. 
showed up a few minutes late to practice today and was told to leave. He then left. So, Sean Aguanu, Chandler Wolves, baby. Sean Aguano gets a player, shows up late to practice. He says, get out of here. Go. Now, I'm the, I, I, I will tell you this. It was a defensive player. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll tell you that. It was a defensive player. I'm not going to go into too much more on it, a but it was a defensive player. starter. Ooh, there are only so many names available. Yeah, so it was a defensive guy. So, But, uh, yeah, one of the starters showed up late to practice and was told to leave. So you got this game going on. A lot of people are asking about the brothers, <clears throat> Keon and, and Kiwan. Marnin, um, the two players that, uh, you know, they they might not play football again. They, they may transfer. They may not play again. It's very unlikely that they're going to play for ASU. These two, the two brothers, they were coached by, by Antonio Pierce at Long Beach Poly. They came here with him. They don't have anything with, with Herm gone, with Antonio Pierce gone. There's really nothing tying them uh, to the team. They're more depth guys than anything else. They were starting for ASU uh, because ASU was you know really lacking depth, but um, I don't think that they were great players. They were just decent players. They both have an extra year of, avail- of availability because of COVID. But uh, on Keon and and Kwan, uh, those two players, from what I'm hearing, that they, they may not play anymore or they may transfer, but it's unlikely that we'll see them suit up for the Sun Devils again. Gambo, this is one of those things where you're, you, what we're talking about here with Aguano uh, kicking the player out of practice or just telling him to go home, however you want to phrase it, and then, yeah. and then these two players you're referencing. Yeah, even though you're an interim just, coach. These are just kind of what you are what you want to see in terms of transitioning for, for the Aguano point. And then the other one is just a reality of the situation that they're in right now because they had so many new players come in. I think the number was in the mid-40s that they had new players come mm-hmm. in, and this is just something that's going to happen where you're having a couple of guys come in who you said you they would be able to do this and they wouldn't be able to do that and then they come here and they don't like it like that's just the reality of where college football and college sports are at right now with the portal but specifically with the Herm era and and it, and it dropping like you, when you drop coaches and have another coach come in you have a lot of guys transferring maybe a couple guys follow that coach to the school as well it goes both ways but this is just why it's so rough to transition eras and I know a lot of people called for Herm's job a lot earlier than when he got fired but all, the number one thing in terms of hesitating on firing college coaches always comes back to that is you know you're going to lose some players and you're going to be in a rough position and they're not even in that position yet that's next year so it, it's going to be yeah. one of those things where we're going to hear a handful of names between now and the next 18 months just in terms of players moving in and players moving out. Look, I, the most important thing is discipline. You can't come in as an interim coach and let somebody walk all over you, okay? Listen, here's what I expect. I expect you to be on time for meetings. If you're not on time for meetings, it's going to kick you out. I don't, it doesn't matter who you are, what level of play. That's what Short and Guano has to do. He has to do that because he's got to establish that he's the coach. You know, there's a lot of games left in this season. I'm the head coach. You want to play college football or not? Because you can't have guys, so you have to have that discipline. So, listen, Aguano was a very, very successful high school coach for Chandler. Won, I think, four state championships. He's been a, he's been a coach on that staff for a number of years now. I like him putting his foot down. You're gonna show up late for practice. I'm gonna kick you out. Now, it doesn't mean you're off the team. I'm just gonna kick you out of this. I'm gonna kick you out of his practice. You're not practicing today, um, and we'll see what happens from there. Look, you're coming off a tough game. 
They had no oh, chance. Okay, they brought goodness. a knife to a gunfight against Utah. Okay, a knife to a gunfight. I like that. They ne- they just never had a chance. I mean, Utah is one of the better teams in the country, but man, it was ugly. I mean, it was ugly in that first quarter. It was twenty four to six. I mean, uh, just it, the ASU's first possession. Barton had a sack. Reed had a sack. Like, okay, you're punted from your own end zone. <laughs> ASU's second possession had a a nice play wiped out by a pass interference penalty on Andre Johnson. It couldn't get anything going. They got a punt. Um, it's just the next possession that they had, another sack. Fillinger had a sack for nine yard loss. They had a punt. Right out of the gate, Utah just ex- the dominance on that defensive line. Barton with a sack, Reed with a sack, Fillinger with a sack. They really got after it. And then once they got their offense going, it's 14 nothing. It's 17 nothing. It's 24 to 3. You just put yourself behind the eight ball. There was just ASU really had no chance. They only had five yards. They had negative five yards of total offense through the first quarter in that football game. That's what I was going to bring up, Gambo. When you watch this team through these games so far, you just wonder how they're going to score. You look at all these numbers for their offensive statistics, and they're near the bottom or at the bottom for pretty much everything offensively. I think one thing they've really got going for them is X Valade, the running back. He's fantastic, yeah. but Gamble, when you fall behind this quickly, you can't run. run the ball. It's just he gets hard. eight carries for 30 yards after his first three games were 15 for 116 and two touchdowns, 21 for 118 and a touchdown, and 16 for 127 for a touchdown. That includes a game against Oklahoma State. Like yeah. this kid's legit. He has big playability, and I think he is the best part of their offense by a considerable margin. But you cannot put yourself in a position with these three and out, three and out, three and out, and and then all of a sudden you can't run the ball anymore, which is going to be your biggest strength this year easily. Yeah, USC coming off of a tough, tough road win against Oregon State. I think they're up to number six in the country. They 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 were in their first hostile environment, and Lincoln Riley, and uh, you know he he goes, I I've definitely never been in an atmosphere like that where it's you know half a stadium so it was like he was you know impressed by the by the crowd there it was an off night for the Trojans offense but their defense stepped up big and they won the game and now you've got ASU against USC and just a tough three game stretch for Sean Aguano you get Utah then you get USC and then you get Washington it's like welcome to the job yeah I mean that is that's a that's a tough slate right there now the Sun Devils some of the other problems they're having is just defensively right their inability to get to the quarterback they have two sacks in four games. That's the worst in the Pac-12. So they're really struggling there. Uh, Kyle Soleil's playing well. Merlin Robertson's playing well. But they're just really up against it defensively because their inability to get that pressure on the quarterback. Oh my gosh, Gambo. And then the penalties. Guess what? They lead the Pac-12 in penalties again. That's what they do. Our own Jake Anderson who covers the team for us on Twitter. He will have a penalty counter where he will Mm -hmm. tweet out every penalty they get because we all knew coming into the season how much they had to clean that up. It was a huge discussion point around this team. And look, they're in a really difficult position, like I said, with the amount of new players and now a new head coach in. But with that being said, they knew. They knew this was a a place they had to clean up and they haven't been able to. And with everything that we're talking about, I mean, Emory Jones is 11th in the Pac-12 in completion percentage right now, so the the passing game really hasn't been able to get it going either. Everything kind of we're we're kind of talking about here goes back to, again, I just want to bring up Balde again because he's... How many times has Arizona State had a great running back. It just feels like they always Always. have one. I mean, this is where we can do the Gambo game. I mean, Grice... 
Jalen Balage. My gambo's bad. I hate my gambo. Yeah, it's I not feel good. Like Eric and Mitch have way better gambos than me, probably. For sure. Yeah, they've had bad. they. You know, yeah, Jr. Redman. Yeah. I've had so many good running backs. They always are stacked at running back. They always are. Demario Richard. On and on and on. You just keep going, but you cannot get to the run game with all the problems we're talking about, which no. is every other part of the field. No, no. I mean, listen. I the basketball team once had shirts that said "Point Guard You." Maybe we'll get the ASU team penalty you. <laughs> penalty you. Penalty University, man. We are. It's what we're good at. We're good at penalties. Everyone just brings flags to the game. Just a tough, <laughs> tough chore for them. Listen, I, I want them to do well. I hope they do well. I'm rooting for Aguano. Uh, let's see if they can keep it close against USC. Ramona Shelburne from ESPN, good friend of the program. She's going to join us to talk about this blockbuster story on ESPN right now about the seven days that led to Robert Sarver's exit. That's next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Hi, welcome back to the show. Gambo here. Kellen Olsen filling in for Burns. He got a little sick this morning, so Kellen's going to fill in, and we are talking a lot of Suns basketball. And one of my good friends who I played a lot of phone tag with over the last few days is going to join us right now, Ramona Shelburne from ESPN. Ramona! How are you? What's going on? Yeah, we were playing a good game of phone tag. Huh? We were tag. I think I don't. I don't remember who was last, but yes, we played phone tag the last few days, me and you. <laughs> because listen, I mean, the Phoenix Suns center of attention here with the with the Robert Sarver story, and then DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams not talking, Oy. and then Jay Crowder doesn't want to be here. So I'll let you go. Where do you want to start? Because you guys have a blockbuster story out on the walls closing in on Robert Sarver. So let let's let's start there and tell me yeah. how how you were a big part of this story and just how you came about putting this whole timeline together well you know i think what was clear to me in discovering it and reporting on this was that you know there was public pressure on sarver to sell the team and then there was private pressure and i think ultimately it came that like he you know he he was upset you know i i think a lot of people involved with um, when uh, he was upset with the with the year suspension, he was upset about the whole situation, and it just started. It just kept escalating. You know, there's there was LeBron James saying, you know, he had to go. There was Chris Paul saying it. There was um, Draymond Green. But I and I think what what finally moved the needle was when all the sponsors started backing out, and yeah. and we only knew about PayPal very publicly, um, but there was a whole line of sponsors that were about to take the same kind of public stance. Like yeah. there, were, there was a whole line of sponsors that were um, going to end up in the same place. And I think when you, that, that analogy, you know, that, that blind quote in the story, which, you know, the, the walls were closing in, right? So there's, it wasn't just one thing. It wasn't Adam Silver saying, Donald Sterling, you're banned for life. It was, it was coming from five or six different directions, but ultimately it just kind of left Starver without much recourse unless he wanted to go to court and fight. And, um, and 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 maybe even most importantly, it it made the path back to the NBA. Like after a year, after that suspension was up, there just wasn't a path back for him either. No. And it would have hurt the Suns and Mercury in the meantime if he would have tried to hang in there. Yeah, I spoke with somebody in the ownership group that told yeah. me that listen, there's probably language in the partnership agreement that would allow for his yeah. removal if the minority owners determine that he violated his fiduciary duties and uh and, and acted unethically and immorally. But there was always the plan and we had discussed this right from day one that if the you know if sponsors pull out, if the if yep. some of the minority owners speak out, if you start losing advertisers, and so really was it, 
it was yeah. going to be. What was the perception going? So once Adam Silver came down with the punishment, that it wasn't over at that point. We 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 had to see how it was going to play out over the next week. Right. Right. And I think, you know, PayPal went first and their CEO, Dan Schulman, came out with a statement saying, hey, we love we love Phoenix. We love the Suns, um, but we're not going to be a sponsor as long as Starbucks still involved. And that was kind of a line in the sand. Now, Dan Schulman is also on the board for Verizon. And there was a list of about 12 other companies that you'll see in the report. If you if you check where, you know, once one company does it, it kind of puts pressure on more companies to do it. These things tend to snowball and and escalate pretty quickly and you know i was actually i asked somebody i actually thought the story might kind of die down um after the first day and then lebron james jumped in and tweeted what he said and it kind of put pressure on other people to come forward and say things and do things um and i i was you know i still wonder how things sometimes it comes down to how things play and what um who jumps in and says what when right uh but I do think that the, the, the final nail in the coffin was really the sponsors lining up and saying, you know, we're, we're about to do this. Like, I think it was, it was going to happen within the next few days and definitely by media day. So yep. he got a chance to, to do it himself. And I, and I had spoken with Robert. I had a short conversation with him on the phone right after he made his decision. And I think, I think a lot of it just came down to protecting his family and not putting his family through any more of this. But I want to get your thoughts. One more yeah. on this one before we move on to DA. I want to get your thoughts on Adam Silver. Did you feel like Adam Silver felt like his back was against the wall and he couldn't really put more of a punishment forward with this? I wouldn't say his back was against the wall. I, I really, for my my reporting on this is, is more that Adam was kind of, felt a sort of moral obligation to be as objective as he could with this this situation and comparison to Sterling. Like somebody somebody said to me, you know, well, if Sterling was like a 10, you know, like this is what he thinks is his worldview, got to go, no place for him in the league. Like, Starver in, in Adam's conversations with people, like you know, he talks to everybody. Everybody who talks to the investigators, the lawyers involved in the report, um, you know, Adam, Adam takes everyone's signature too. And I, I think like Adam sort of felt like, well, if Sterling was a ten, maybe maybe uh, Starver's like a five or a six, right? Like it, it just it didn't. If he gives them the same punishment, there creates this equivalency. Like you're the same as, and. Um, I don't know. I mean, it would have been sort of politically better for, for Adam to have gone harsher on the first punishment, right? Um, but uh, he wasn't making a political decision there. He was. I think there was a, a fairness to it that he was trying to get to. Um, but it obviously landed horribly, right? It just, you know, it didn't yeah. play well. He was criticized by the stars in his league. I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, in our, in our story, we talked about how Chris Paul actually called Adam before he put out his statement where he criticized the league. And sort of told him what he was going to say, like you know, which I, I give Chris a lot of respect for, right? It's, you know, if you're going to say something publicly, you should say it to him privately too, right? Like if you're going to, right? If you're going to say some something, something bad about somebody, you know, it shows it shows the level of respect they have in their own relationship. Um, to say like, hey, I'm about to I'm about to hit you here, um, and Adam, you know, took it, right? It, it was, um, yeah, I think that was that was an interesting detail in the story and you know and i think with adam like he didn't do it publicly where he banned sterling for life but he certainly put a lot of pressure on on robert um after the report was out to, to sell the team and just and uh and that's ultimately what happened 
Hey, Ramon, I wanted to plug this story one more time. If you go to the NBA section on ESPN.com, you'll see it at the top. A lot of fans have been tweeting me asking me how much of this was public versus private in terms of what led to the decision, and the story does a wonderful job of painting that through uh, your reporting and Baxter Holmes' reporting. But to get on to the man of the hour, uh, and it, it had to be something big for it not to be Robert Tarver. It's been DeAndre Ayton. Just what have been Woo! your impressions? <laughs> yeah, there, there's your first impression right there, Ramon. Yeah. What have been your impressions from your vantage point of just what you've seen develop uh, locally here at Media Day two days ago and then training camp yesterday yeah. with DeAndre. You know what's funny? So much of Media Day is theater, right? When yeah. we go there, everybody's got to put on a happy face and they got to they got to say what they're supposed to say. And then there are people who just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> like DeAndre, you know, like DeAndre was like, he's not going to act for you. He's not going to pretend everything's okay if it's not okay. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I think people are reading a lot into his words and you know you know he obviously was upset by how it played out over the summer you know if they were going to match instantly on him only signed an offer sheet with indiana why not just give him the contract yourself i mean you know that was you can debate how the sun handled that and whether it was worth the sort of deterioration in the relationship it causes or it caused um but the guy got in the gym he was working all summer i mean he wasn't like pouting and He's in great shape. And, and one of the things he said today, Mark Spears pointed this out on NBA Today when we were talking about it. He said, um, you know, DeAndre said something like, you know, I don't need to tell Monty. I got to sh- show him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like he's, do- he's that, that, that is, un- you know, we're, we, most people are focusing on him saying, um, oh, I haven't talked to him since, since game seven. Maybe the more important thing is I got to show him. That's five months. I mean, you, you, the way it ended, I mean, that's not, that's not good leadership right there. Monty's got to extend that olive branch. The kid was 23 years old when the season ended. You got to, you got to extend that olive branch. Even after he gets the extension, just say, Hey, listen, I just wanted to say I'm happy for you. Congrats. I'm happy for you. Just extend it. Like just, you know, open up the lines of communication. Don't go five months without talking to him, especially with all the bitterness and animosity in the way the season ended with those two yeah i mean i you know i i try to tell myself this all the time in my personal and professional relationships like sometimes it's just nice to send a, a text message saying hey just thinking about you <laughs> you know like right. hey how you doing right like i do that a lot um even personally and professionally just because i may not have something to say to somebody but i just want them to know that i'm thinking about them and it's um you know, there's a part of me that says, yes, of course, like, like, that definitely should have happened for whatever happened between Monty and DeAndre. I don't think that's ever really been reported out, right, in Game 7 while he got benched. Well, I think that um, he said what, what we heard from, from everybody that was that, that was right there on the bench is that he said, I can't pass myself the damn ball. And then Monty was like, what did you say? What did you say? Mm-hmm. And and at that point, he was they, they just benched him. So it just it, it was right. bad. I mean, they got they kind of got after each other a little bit. Not crazy, yeah. but enough to see to, – to, there was a problem between the two of them. Yeah. I'll say this. I know Monty pretty well. Um, I have not asked him directly yet about like, Oh, did you call DeAndre? Why you did or didn't, but just, just, okay. This is, so this is me surmising. Okay. I don't want to report like, you know, my, <laughs> my guess is there's a reason he hasn't called that maybe, I don't know if this is a lesson that's trying to be learned or a maturity. They're trying to develop. Um, Monty doesn't seem like the kind of guy who has like huge blind spots this way. Um, right. Yeah. This is my guess. Or he just um, didn't think he was going mean, to be I just, here. He, he's a very thoughtful guy. Yes. You know, and he really cares about his, he really cares about his players. I just, it, it'd be hard for me to believe that he just kind of let that one slip. 
Yeah, I, the only thing I could think of is that he probably thought that he was going to get he was going to get traded in the side and trade. All right, Ramona, listen, we always appreciate your time yeah. up against the break. Uh, great story on ESPN. We'll send everybody over there to go take a read for that. We in, in, appreciate you joining us. Hey, let's talk basketball next time, right? That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, you guys have a good team out there. I like talking hoops. All right, yeah. next, time, next time we'll <laughs> yeah, talk hoops. Thanks. All right, thanks, Ramona. Hi, that's Ramona Shelbourne from ESPN. Uh, me and her, honestly, we really, I played phone for the last like four days. We played phone tag with you. She keeps calling me like times that I'm not available and I call her and she's on the air. So too busy people. keep missing each people. other. All right. Um, undisputed had an interesting thing to say about this DA and son situation and thinking that the sun is setting. We'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.